welcome to Southpod and the latest in our series about vaccine safety. So it's just before Christmas, but for the first time, we've got a real glimmer of hope with the arrival of the first COVID-19 vaccines. So the programme's already underway for priority groups, such as our care home staff um, and residents and our own staff priority groups. So I'm joined today by Dr. Tracy Boyce, who is our Director of Pharmacy with the Trust and part of the team really overseeing distribution of this job. Tracy, you're very welcome. Thank you. This must have been been quite a moment um, in your department in the hospital whenever these first deliveries of vaccines arrived. Tell Tell us about that. Yeah, well, with the staff all briefed as to what their role would be, because it's quite a challenging vaccine to manage. So when it arrived, it was like Christmas Day in the pharmacy. There was great excitement. There was people when it came off the van, it has to be managed very carefully. But when the box came off the specialist delivery van, there was lots of people having selfies taken with it, believe it or not, because they wanted to show future grandchildren that they were there at the moment that this vaccine arrived. So it was great excitement and you know, and also a great sense of responsibility, the pharmacy staff, that this is their role to look after this vaccine and make sure it's in the best condition possible for our, our patients and staff who are going to receive it. So it was a great day, I have to say. I think a lot of staff saw it as this is the beginning of the way out, you know, of this lockdown and everything that we've been going through in the health service. So it was, it gave everybody a real boost. Brilliant. And I know this is the first of what they're calling the mRNA vaccines. So, mm-hmm. Tracy, how are these different to more traditional vaccines or how does this type of jab work? Okay, well, maybe start to explain how a traditional one, you know, what we would call a traditional vaccine. So quite often what would happen is they get a bit of the virus and they'll maybe they weaken it in some way with radiation or whatever. So you get a very weak form of the virus. It then is grown quite often in eggs believe it or not. So the virus has grown over a period of time and it's weakened form over eggs. Then they harvest that weakened virus off the eggs and that's what's used then to make the vaccine. This is very different. If you think back a number of years when we had the Ebola outbreak, the terrible Ebola outbreak, the I think the pharmaceutical industry and, and scientists realised we needed a faster and more efficient way of making a vaccine at speed when something like that happened. So various specialist research companies started to look at it and they developed this idea of using what's called mRNA, messenger RNA. Okay, So messenger RNA is almost like a little recipe book for the cells in, the, in your body as to make a protein. So what they did was they got the coronavirus. And if you think about the, the drawing you see on the TV, it's like a ball with spikes sticking out of it. So they chopped off a little spike and then they sequenced the DNA in that spike, the protein of that spike. They then made a synthetic messenger RNA that would instruct cells to make that protein themselves. Okay, so it's quite an unusual way of doing it. So what happens is then you get an injection of the messenger of the recipe book to make the protein that's on that spike. So it goes into the muscle in your arm. Your arm takes it in and thinks, oh, here we go. I need to make this. So it makes the protein from your own cells of the spike that was on the coronavirus. It then goes out into your body, into the bloodstream, and your immune system kicks in and because it goes, right, that's not normal. And then your immune system kicks in the way it would when you get a traditional vaccine. Okay. So the beauty of doing it this way is that you can't get COVID from the vaccine because it's not it's nothing to do with the actual virus itself. You know, it's tricking your body into making that protein. So you sort of make the protein yourself and then your immune system kicks in. 
So it's a, it's a very different way of doing it. You don't need to worry about things like egg allergy the way you would with traditional vaccines because it's not grown in eggs. So, um, so yeah, it's very exciting. There are other drugs sort of used in cancer treatments and so on that can be made in the same way. So the technology was sort of out there already for the vaccine. And once um, coronavirus became a thing back almost this time last year, the, those companies switched from their look at Ebola to looking at coronavirus and they started working immediately on it. And, and now we have the vaccine, which is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. And we've had the best scientific brains in the world have been working around the clock on this and i think it's really important you said that you can't get covid from this and with so no. many new things like this you can you get the understandable nervousness and hesitancy mm. and skepticism around it that leads to a lot of rumor or inaccurate information and i suppose one of the main questions then that people have is given that this vaccine has been developed at this unprecedented speed how have they been able to do this, Tracy, without compromising safety? Well, all the safety checks that a normal vaccine would go through have been done because the, the MHRA in the UK would not allow anything onto the market unless it had been done. But I suppose the, the, the why or how they've been able to do it speed is for two ways. This new technology is fully synthetic, so you don't have to wait this long period to grow the vaccine in eggs. Okay, so that doesn't, it's made you know in a company rather than growing it biologically also then what happened was normally when you make something new you do all your safety tests your trials everything you finish those those go well and then you decide right how are we going to make this so there's another period of time that there's a pause after the studies before it goes into full manufacture so what happened this time was a lot of the the big um, nations around the world funded the pharmaceutical companies to make it at the same time to take a risk we're not sure this is going to work but let's produce lots of it in the background so it meant they were manufacturing it all and taking a risk that it would pass and it would be safe so what happened was when the MHRA passed it as safe immediately supplies could be sent out from the manufacturer because they were already there they didn't have to make it for us so they'd be made in the past if it had failed there would have been millions and millions of pounds written off by all those governments but they took the risk and decided they would get the company to do it this way so if you know what if you can imagine all the steps the big manufacturer step was happening in the background the whole time and as i said before it is a faster way of making a new product as well so everything came together to to create that sort of fast timeline for us and, and we're delighted it's here. I, I just know, you know other misinformation around this and concerns that people are, are raising and looking, I suppose, for reassurance. They relate to, does it cause fertility issues? Some have even said it, it has a microchip in it. What would you say yeah. to people um, who, are, who are raising these issues? Well, the, the, the microchip thing is, is totally wrong. <laughs> it's definitely not. It's been made by Pfizer. Um, Bill Gates has had nothing to do with this. You know, it's come, it's been tested, and it's come direct from the company in Belgium to Northern Ireland. You know, so there's nobody kind of played with it or contaminated it. The um, the concerns about the fertility, any new drug, no matter whether it's a vaccine or anything, when a new drug comes onto the market, it's called black triangle. It's just a, a phrase that is used in the pharmaceutical company, um, the pharmaceutical industry, and all new drugs when we get in the trust. There's a two-year period at the beginning when obviously it's very new and we need to use it. So all adverse reactions, all those sorts of things, are, you must report them no matter how minor. 
but also that comes with it is obviously you don't test a brand new drug in pregnancy. You you know you don't give it to pregnant women because you know we need a period of time before we're really sure we you know before you even attempt that. So obviously as a starter, this vaccine should not be used in pregnant women. And the guidance is out there. Even if people are thinking about coming pregnant in the next few months, don't just wait. Wait until your pregnancy is over and they'll be vaccinated. And those staff groups are younger anyway, by and large. So they are at less risk of being seriously ill themselves. So it's a, a very sort of measured approach. Okay. The fertility issue, I think, is coming from the line in the information the company provides with the new drug. And that's a standard line for again for any new drug because again until we've used it for a few years you know that that is an unknown but there's no expectation there's going to be any issue with fertility you know because what this rna does has nothing to do with anything other than producing that spike protein you know so but it, unfortunately it is a standard line that any new drug must have mm -hmm. because because it's new and because of this black triangle status that anything new has for two years and that's, that's hugely reassuring, um, yeah. I'm sure, for many people listening to this. And we're also excited that, the, you know, this drug has now arrived with us. The vaccine is here, um, but we're having to ration it just as, as the supplies continue to come through. So how are we prioritising yeah. who gets this jab first, Tracy? Well, there's a group because, because um, obviously, as you say, it'll come in bigger quantities and there'll be another vaccine coming in, we hope, in the next few weeks as well, you know, to help us. But the, um, the, the what they've done is nationally, there's a group called the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization, JCVI. So they have said that when it's limited, the first people that must get it is the very frail elderly, so the over 80s, and also their care. So if they're in a looked after facility, like a care home, the people caring for them should get it at the same time to protect them. Also then high risk health service staff. Okay, so they're looking at those those nurses and doctors and pharmacy technicians, pharmacists who work all the time on frail elderly wards or wards where there's very high prior, uh, high proportion of frail elderly people as patients. So also intensive care where they're dealing with red PPE. So they're dealing with you know, actual COVID, you know, high-risk patients and also ED. And ED is the mix of the COVID positive coming through, but also a lot of frail already, you know, being admitted through ED as well. Now, this is just an initial phase. The plan is to vaccinate every single member of the health service team, okay? Mm -hmm. Should it be the porters, the community pharmacists, the GPs, the um, dentists, optometrists, plan is that they will all come to us at some point it's just at this stage when we're, we're sort of doing the care home piece and we're starting to introduce the staff we need to judge who we call forward based on the quantity of vaccine available to us so first couple of weeks we'll be going through prioritization but i i would imagine once the second vaccine comes on board we'll be opening it out to everybody you know, so, that's that's yeah. brilliant news, Tracy. And we just have to be patient. It's coming. Yeah, um, yeah I, I know. Well, when we get it, how quickly does it work for us? Um, how, and okay. how long will our immunity last? Well, it works. The Pfizer vaccine we, we're working with at the moment, um, and it, it's the one that is particularly fragile. And maybe talk about that in a minute, just to explain why some of the limitations on what we're doing. You know, we we'll have to be careful with it. But the 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 Pfizer vaccine, you need two doses. Okay, so first dose in day one and another dose exactly three weeks later. Now, if it goes a wee bit longer than a day, a day or two, that's okay, but not less than three weeks. 
And then what they've told us is that a week later, so seven days later, then you have immunity. Okay, so really, as long as you get both doses on time, you have immunity for four weeks from your first dose. Okay, as to how long it lasts, they can't really tell us at the moment. The 20,000 people who got the Pfizer vaccine in the initial studies are being continuously studied and they're having their antibody levels monitored uh, regularly. Mm. So, so far, I think it's at least three to six months. It definitely works for because they, you know, that's how long the first people have had it and they're still fine. So they'll monitor those people for us throughout the year ahead and even longer. So if it looks as though after a year they really start to dropping, then they'll know it's a vaccine we need to get at a booster every year, the way we do with flu vaccine. Okay. But it could, you know, if all goes well, it could go longer than that and it might be something you need every five years or whatever. But as I say, that study is still happening and, you know, we, we'll know more and hopefully the, the, those people's immunity will continue. Yeah, excellent. As we, I suppose, as we all know, coronaviruses mutate, and mm. we, you know, we've heard in the last um, number of weeks that the new strain ha seems to have appeared and may be linked then to increased transmission, um, particularly mm. in the south of England. And will will these vaccines still work against these new emerging strains? I suppose it's, pro it's probably very early to say that at the moment because this new strain has just been emerged. I think we're hopeful that it should because of the way it's been designed because it's not the actual virus itself, it's just that little spike. So if the rest of the virus has changed, the spike we're hoping is still the same and that's what we're, because your body is going to identify the coronavirus by that spike protein when it comes into your body. So, you know, the hope is that that spike protein won't have changed so that the vaccine you've had will identify both strains okay so but i suppose we can't really say that yet until we know for definite but that is the the sort of expectation that we should be fine um but again early days and we'll see how it goes quite often when a virus mutates it becomes weaker even though it's spreading faster they're also thinking you know it may not cause such a severe disease going forward if it does mutate because quite often they weaken when they mutate Okay, so, mm -hmm. but again, massive studies going on to have a look at that, isolate that, make sure the spike protein is the same, and we're good to go. Okay. But like you'll have heard, there was concern about the mink strain in yes, Denmark, Denmark, same idea, and it, it turned out to be fine. You know, so we're hoping good. that this should this should be the same situation. Oh, that's good. And what about Tracy? Um, if somebody, what if somebody has already had the virus? Do they still need to get the vaccine? Yes, the guidance is they should be vaccinated. Okay, and what the way if you've recently had the virus, they say wait thirty days after your positive test and then come forward for vaccination. So they're still they still want people. It doesn't do your, your immune system any harm to get a boost. Okay, so they do want you to come forward if you've had it. Okay, so what are the next steps then for you in this program? Well, we, as I say, we start the um, staff, the mass staff vaccination clinic in South Lakes Leisure Centre for is our trust one. Why we have one mass centre is this vaccine, as I mentioned, it's made of our mRNA and mRNA is actually very fragile. So we, where at all possible, we want the staff to come to the, to the vaccine. Okay, we've had to make an exception for the care homes because obviously those patients cannot come to us. And it's been very challenging. mRNA can be totally ruined by shaking or even a slight shake. And also this vaccine, there's no preservative in it. And I know a lot of people worry about preservatives that were used in the past in vaccines. 
but all that's in this vaccine is the mRNA and some fat molecules because they wrap it up in a little fat ball so that your your muscle your arm muscle takes it inside into its cells so literally that's all that's in it so once once we take it out of the you'll have heard that it comes at minus 79 degrees and that stabilizes the vaccine in transit but it can't stay in that for it well it can't stay in that for six months but obviously we can't inject you that we'd be injured if we tried to inject you with something at that temperature so when we when it comes into pharmacy we have a grace period of a, um, a number of hours before we take it out of the special minus 79 carrier and then it takes three hours to come up to fridge temperature and it, well, as soon as we take it out of that asbestos carrier, the clock starts ticking and we have five days to use it okay so it's quite a logistical challenge over the next few weeks or um, even a few days to to manage that clock to make sure we don't waste a drop and that's what we're doing at the moment so we're planning for monday how much will we defrost over the weekend that sort of thing and once it's at a site, it can only it can only actually travel twice. It's a bit of a diva this vaccine. It can only have two journeys in its life. So um, some staff might have been called for the little pop up clinics and pharmacy over the last couple of days, and that's because maybe somebody in the care home decided not to have the vaccine, and we had a full vial left in the care home. But bringing it back to pharmacy was its second journey, so it couldn't go anywhere else. So we've brought some staff, five or six staff, five staff. To pharmacy to get the vaccine so that nothing was wasted um the other thing as well is then um, once it's diluted so we you have to add saline to it it can't travel anywhere okay so we've also had some staff on standby if there was a part file two or three doses left in the care home with some staff being fantastic they've actually driven from their workplace in the hospital to the care home to be vaccinated so that we didn't waste anything so the next the next couple of weeks is going to be for me and my team, you know, managing that continuously, in conjunction then with obviously, um, Maxine and Vivian who are looking at the whole peer vaccinator piece and making sure that the vaccine and the peer vaccinators arrive in South Lakes at the same time, ready to go. So, um, but it's all, it's very exciting. It's really giving the staff a boost and everybody's up for it, in terms of making it work, which is brilliant. Oh, Tracy, that is fantastic. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to us today. You have a massive challenge, no doubt, ahead and also huge responsibility, but you're taking us that one step closer to returning to normal life. So the very best of luck with the programme. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me to do this today as well. It's been great. Thank you.